0: Take your Bibles and uh, open up to Romans chapter 4. At this time, the children are dismissed to Children's Church if they'd like to go. Um, We're going to be in Romans chapter 4 this morning. And uh, if you'll just follow along as we read uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. This, then, is the Word of God. Is this blessing, then, only for the circumcised? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. We're going to take just a second and start with prayer. Uh, I forgot. Ben Payne in the prayer time this morning, and we're just going to add him uh, real quick. We've been praying for him for a while for this job. Uh, Let's uh, let's pray and and go before the Lord. Our gracious God and and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, come before you this morning and thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your love. Uh, We do pray for our brother, Ben Payne, as he's been having uh, the the job situation and and working a lot of Saturday nights into early, early Sunday mornings. And and, um, we pray, Lord, that as they've offered this new position to him, this switch, Lord, that they would also fill his old position. We pray that you'd uh, just really open this door for them. We know that Ben and Naomi just long to be here every week, and uh, we pray that you would uh, just be the gracious one who provides Uh, for them in this situation. We pray as we turn to Romans, Lord, we ask that you would uh, instruct us from your word, that you would would guide us, that you would have something uh, for each one of us, Lord. And as we look at uh, the faith of Abraham, that we would be uh, a people uh, of faith who put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you have someone in your life that you uh, look up to. Uh, Oftentimes, most of us in our lives have someone uh, that you can look at and you can say, I want to be just like them. Maybe you say, I want to be like them when I grow up. Maybe as an adult, you still say, I want to be like them uh, when I grow up. You have someone maybe that you look to, and, and maybe it's an older couple, and you say, I hope that we're like that when we get to be that age, that we are godly like their example, that we uh, are, are successful and faithful in the Christian life uh, like they are at their age. Um, sometimes we, we have a parent that we look up to, a mother, a father, and we say, I, I want to grow up to, to be like them. Well, in this time period, uh, particularly, uh, for the Jewish person, Abraham was uh, quite literally the, the father of the faith, the father of, of the Jewish nation. And so uh, Jewish people and Israelites would often look to Abraham and his example and they would they would hold him up. And particularly in Paul's day and age, they would say, look, Abraham was circumcised. That's what it mean when he had faith. Uh, that's part of what he did. And so they were pressing that upon everyone else. Don't you want to be like our father Abraham. And so Paul bringing up Abraham doesn't come in a vacuum. But all of this is to direct us, even today, to to ask and answer the question, how does the blessing of forgiveness and righteousness come to us? There is no greater question in your life today. How can I be forgiven of my sins? And when we're forgiven, we are given, as we've been talking about over the weeks in Romans, we are given the gift of righteousness. That we can actually stand before God and be acceptable in His presence because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is, how does this gift come to me? What must I do to be saved is the nature of the question. How does the blessing of forgiveness and righteousness come to us? If you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to pay particular attention. But even as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's good to to pause for a moment and and reflect and say, how am I? How did I get to where I am? Because sometimes in the Christian life, we can get going in the Christian life when we can can be going along and obeying the commands of God and and doing well uh, in a good way in following the Lord. But if we're not careful, we can subtly start to become boastful and think that we have what we have because of who we are. And the reality is, is that Christians, we have what we have because of who Jesus is. First, this morning, we can only receive righteousness and forgiveness through faith. These things only come to us, they are only received and, and come into our life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith is something that, that opens up its arms and receives what the Lord has for us. We can only receive righteousness and forgiveness through faith. So as we are going through this passage, Paul, Paul brings to us a number of, of sort of rhetorical questions. He, he teaches by asking you so that you'll Think about the truth and you'll think about what Scripture says. He says then, he asks the question, is the blessing of salvation only for the circumcised or is it for the uncircumcised? So look at verse nine. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? And you'll remember going all the way back into to chapter one, Paul has talked about the gospel being for the Jews first, but also for the for the Gentiles. He could have easily said there, it's for the circumcised, but also for the uncircumcised. He could have said here, is the blessing only for the Jew or is it for the Gentile also? Because involved in this is is also some racial divisions, if we can uh, put it in that uh, kind of language. And so he's asking, Who is the blessing of salvation for? In fact, if you look back at verses 6, 7, and 8, you see the language of blessing. Just as David speaks of the blessing of one to whom God counts righteousness apart from work. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sins. What is is the blessing that Paul is talking about. Salvation. Having your sins forgiven. Having this gift of righteousness before God. There are are two main things that go on in salvation. Well, we could say more than two, but in in this context, there are two main things that go on in salvation. The gift of righteousness that is given, you can think of that as, as a positive element, if you will. Uh, the forgiveness of sins taken away. Now, that's positive in a general sense, but think of it in terms of removing the negative. So so something positive is given and something negative is, is removed, if you will. We have this gift of righteousness so we can stand before God and God says you are you are clean with me. You are righteous. We have forgiveness so that the stain and the guilt and the consequences and the punishment of sin is, is completely uh, wiped away. We are new creation as Paul uh, talks about us. So Paul, what Paul is saying is that we are justified or declared righteous apart from works. So you'll see that in verse 6. Blessed, or David also speaks of this blessing to the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Without any works, regardless of what we do, God gives to us a gift of righteousness because we receive it through faith. What it means is we we don't earn it. God doesn't set out this bar and say, well, when you have enough good things that you've worked up to this level, uh, then you'll get it. He says, here's the gift. You simply need to receive it. And that's what faith does. We are trusting in the work of Jesus Christ and then we are granted a verdict. It's the, the judge at the law court declaring everything is right and good and it meets his standard. Second here, in the passage that we're looking at, there was those in Paul's day who thought salvation or thought that, that all the blessings from God came to those who follows God's commands and particularly the command of circumcision. So they in effect said, if you want the blessings from God, if you want salvation... You had better live up to that standard. You had better obey the law. You had better do all of those Old Testament things. Why is it this always comes up on a Fellowship Sunday and I can always make the crab dip joke about the Old Testament law and now that we, we are not under it, we can eat crab. But what they were doing is, is taking God's commands and saying this is, is not something you do in response to God but this is something that you do so that God will respond to you. Not, not keeping God's commands and saying, you know, the Ten Commandments, don't murder, don't steal, worship God, only because we love God and we have salvation. That's all good and right and true. But they're taking the commands and saying, if you want God to love you, if you want God to save you, then you better do these commands first. Do you see, do you see the difference And so in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, and and one of the big commands in Scripture that marked uh, in the Old Testament the people of God apart from all the other nations, one of the big commands was circumcision. And and by Paul's day, it became kind of the identity marker of I am a good person who follows God's commands. It, It was like the big command, if you will. In Acts chapter 15, it says this and some men and they came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. This is their teaching, the church, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved unless you get circumcised, you don't have salvation. You don't have the blessing. You don't have the gift of righteousness. It becomes very much a do this, this work of the law, this obedience to a command, and then you'll be saved or you'll be on the way to getting saved. Perhaps they said things like, hey, look at look at Abraham. Well, of course, he believed God, but but he he got circumcised. So if you're going to believe God and really get uh, salvation here, you better get circumcised or you don't have it. Uh, maybe they even uh, maybe they even said something like, you know, God's people have always been marked out by circumcision. We read in Genesis chapter 17. Uh, it was to be for the people of Israel throughout the ages. And and so perhaps they're saying, hey, if you want to join the people of God, if you want to be a good servant of God, you, you Gentile from from outside of Judaism, you better do what the Old Testament says. Uh, there's a. a, a writing of the Jews. It's a little bit later uh, than the time of the early church, but it's from the Mishnah, the Netarim And they said this, Great is circumcision, for despite all the religious duties which Abraham our father fulfilled, he was not perfect until he was circumcised. He wasn't complete. His, his salvation wasn't there, in a sense, until he He was circumcised. And so Paul is encountering people that are coming into the church and they're saying, take on this mark of the law. And if you don't take it on, you aren't saved. You don't have the blessing. And sometimes even today, people in in the church will will sometimes hold up an, an artificial standard. You don't have salvation unless you do this unless you act this way, unless you are, are, are following this set of rules. Now, the good and godly biblical commands, we, we should follow them because we love the Lord. But we don't follow them as an entryway into salvation. We follow them because we have salvation. We are so grateful for the work of the Lord. But when you raise these things up as a, a standard, as a bar and say, unless you do this, you're not saved you suddenly make salvation what? A work. When you make it a work, you take away from the grace and the gift. So Paul says, who gets the blessing? Is it only for the circumcised? Or is it also from the uncircumcised? So Paul answers this question. We've been been pointing out how Paul often does this, and this is good practice. Uh, You Have a question. Where do you find the answer? You go to Scripture. So Paul asks this question, and what does he do? He goes back to Scripture to say, in effect, what does Scripture say? Look at verse 9, the second half. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. But what does Scripture say? In verse 3, actually, just skip back again to verse 3. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul has already laid that out in verse three. He's coming back in verse nine and he's saying, for we say, and and he's not just saying this with his own authority. He's already said we're saying this because Scripture says this. When, When we tell you on a Sunday that salvation is by faith alone, it's not me telling you this. This isn't something that we had a committee meeting before church and we said, hey, uh, wouldn't it be, what do you guys think? Well, should we make salvation by faith alone today? Hey, that sounds like a great idea. We took a vote and, hey, that's what we'll decide it will be from now on. That's not how you determine your doctrine. That's not how you determine your belief. If you are going to stand on the truth, you stand on the Word of God. And so, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul says, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteous. Abraham was considered, or we might say counted or or reckoned as righteousness because he believed. It's fascinating in this passage, in verses 3-11, through in every single verse... Paul uses the same Greek word that we translate either reckon or we translate it to count. He uses it in every verse except verse 7, and verse 7 is the second half of an Old Testament quote. So, So essentially, in every verse, he is repeating this. He wants you to get it through your head. How is it that God counts you righteous? How is it that you have what you need to stand before God? How is it that you can be assured of your salvation today? Because it is through faith that God brings to us the blessing of righteousness. That reckoning, that counting, uh, that considering, as some translations might say, it's actually sort of a a, um, a, a legal accounting term in, in this day. That if you transfer something to your, your account, if I, if I say, you know, we, we've counted $100 to you and reckoned it into your bank account, it means we've, we've given you something. We consider you now to have that as this wire transfer or whatever goes through. We have, we have taken the righteousness of, of Christ and it has been put on your account. It has been counted for you. You are not righteous in and of yourself. Even as a believer, you will still have sins even as God is forgiving them. So where do I get the righteousness that I need to stand before God? In other words, I am never perfect enough in the eyes of God. Does God just kind of turn a blind eye and say, hey, I'll I'll grade on a curve? God is holy. But to, to bring us into His family, to bring us into His presence... God gives us what we need. It's like giving us a a grade of an A when we don't deserve it. He gives us the grade of Jesus. Jesus was the perfect one, the righteous one, the holy one. And when you put your trust in Him, the thing that Jesus has accomplished now applies to you. It is counted onto you, if we can put it in that way. It's God counts us, or reckons us, or considers us righteous as a le- a verdict, a legal verdict on account of His grace, which is received through believing in Christ Jesus. Why did God offer salvation? Why does God do this? Because He is gracious and merciful. He gives us what we don't deserve. And Romans 4 says this, no, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. or You could say his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. God is the one who counts us righteous. He passes a legal verdict. It's declarative, but it is a gift of grace. It's not grace if it's something that you've earned. And that's one of the ways we know that we can't earn our salvation because it comes to us through Grace. And as we talk about the role of faith, faith is the means by which we open our hands and we receive the gift. Let me use an example, and I probably use this one way too often. Uh, I'm getting to the age in my life where people are telling me I'm repeating, at least my kids are telling me I repeat the same stories. That's, that's never good. But um, let me use the example of the Christmas present. If someone gives you a Christmas present on, on Christmas, and it is sitting under the tree. You obviously see it and you're excited, and you reach out and you take it, and, and you open up the present. And, and you know how it is with your kids, or maybe when you were a kid, or that I means there's just such this roaring excitement, and hopefully if you've trained your kids well, they're like, "Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is just what I wanted. How, how silly would it be to take credit? For That gift to sit there and say, well, I'm just so thankful that I opened this gift this morning. I'm going to give all the credit to me because I just tore off the wrapping paper. Uh, You also don't say, well, you know, mom, dad, I've been doing my chores all year. So this really isn't a gift. This is something that I've earned. Uh, You know, my grades were good and I've been behaving. Uh, So I'm not really going to thank you because, you know, I, I did it all anyways. Uh, their allowance, if you do that, is not a gift. It's something that you determine ahead of time. If you do these chores, we will pay you $5 or whatever the going rate is for the chores. But the present is a gift. And of course, the, the child receives it. But the child doesn't take credit for opening up. We receive the gift of salvation through faith. But, but we don't take credit for it. We don't, we don't think that, well, I brought something to the table... God brought the gift. You received the gift. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is a gift. And you don't sit there and say, well, I've been living a really good life, going to church, keeping all of God's commands. I've been doing it all great, so God, You owed me this one. One time I did get upset with a Christmas gift that I got. And in hindsight, it was extremely foolish. Because it was a gift. And you appreciate gifts. And Christ gives a gift. God gives a gift in Christ. We don't get credit. and We don't get things to boast in just because we've received it. We look at God and we say, how awesome is this blessing of being counted righteous? That God is not setting up this bar and constantly saying, you need to live up to this. He offers The gift. And He forgives the sin. And out of that, we should follow Him and obey Him and walk in His ways because we've seen the gift and we've received the gift. God is awesome and He gives salvation as a gift. Romans 3.28 For we hold that one is justified by faith, Apart from works of the law. Why? Because it's from grace. And if it's a work, it can't be a gift. So you think about salvation. You think about gifts are received. Gifts are not earned. And as we work through Romans, I hope you see these truths in Scripture. That salvation is by grace alone. And it's received through Through faith alone. The only way that I can have the gift is by receiving it through faith. And that faith needs to be in Christ alone. Who do I trust? Do I trust myself? Do I trust and say that I can do this? No, I trust Christ. Grace alone. Some people will talk about God's grace But then they will mix God's grace with with our abilities. And when you start to do that, you're not saying that it's a grace alone, only as a gift. These truths are in Scripture, and we want to be a church. And going forward, we want to be a church that that this is who we're about. Salvation is by grace alone. And, And it's sad that we live in a day and age where sometimes that sets you apart from other Christians. It shouldn't be that way. This is what the Scriptures teach. And and the role of a Christian is to come before the Scriptures and say, how do I follow God? How do I stand on His Word? So grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, God alone working in Christ is the only ground, the only promise, and the only assurance of my salvation. I have nothing that I bring to the table It is only from God and for the glory of God alone. So at the end of the day, when you sit back and you you look and you say, this really is a blessing. And where do blessings come from? Blessings come from God. And he's worked this. Second, this morning, we are reckoned righteous by only faith or only by faith apart from Works of the law. I've already been saying this, but we want to see how Paul fleshes this out into the passage as the scriptures go forward here. So Paul, again, will ask the question, was Abraham circumcised when God declared him righteous? Verse 10. How then was it, how then was the righteousness counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Uh, I'm going to hold off there on the answer. I think you probably already know. But just kind of hang that question there for you in your mind. When Abraham was saved, when he was declared righteous, what point of his life was he at? Keep your finger uh, in Romans chapter 4, or if you have the Bible app, I don't know, tab it or however you do it on your app, and, and flip over to Genesis chapter 15. Uh, Genesis Chapter 15 is the passage uh, where Paul has been quoting from, uh, as he said, the scriptures say Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Romans chapter, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 15, verse six. And he believed, this is Abraham, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what did he believe? Uh, God said to him, fear not. Verse one, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give to me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham said, Behold, you have given to me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came and said, This man shall not be your heir. You shall have a son who is your heir. He brought him outside, and he said to him, Look towards the heaven and the number Of the number of the stars. And if you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Flip back to to Genesis chapter 12, if you would. God had called Abraham in verse 1. He says, go up from your country and your kindred of your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will get and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those or those who dishonor you, I will curse. And in your families and in all the, in you, excuse me, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are what we call the Abrahamic promises or the Abrahamic covenant. And then it says in verse 6 of chapter 15, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Short answer, Abraham got saved. He had the gift of righteousness. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give these promises to you. And Abraham said, OK, just like God says to us in Christ, I am offering you salvation. And the believer says, OK, I believe I receive Jesus. And that's it. Abraham was trusting that God would do great things through him and his descendants. And ultimately, if we, we don't have time to go into it, but if you go into Genesis and you follow how God is unpacking this, ultimately what God is in a nutshell promising Abraham is Jesus would come. A Messiah would come, an anointed one, a special heir that would come out of this long group of descendants and heirs. And at this point, Abraham has no kids. God is basically saying, Abraham, I'm going to save the world. And I'm going to save the world through one of your Descendants. And Abraham, okay, I believe you. I don't have any kids. And I'm almost 90 years old. But okay. Then you get to chapter 17. And God gives as a sign the symbol of circumcision. And I don't want to get graphic and go into it too much, but just know that it's a sign. And it was supposed to mark out outwardly what was supposed to be going on in their hearts inwardly. And so now, even as believers, we talk about the circumcision of our heart. That when the Holy Spirit is there, He, he removes sin. He cuts away the what we call the hard heart that resists God. And So the outward parts were just symbols and signs. When was Abraham saved? Genesis 15. And you say, well, you know, it's only two chapters, but but I want you to notice something. Uh, Go with me uh, to Genesis uh, chapter 12, uh, verse. Oh, shoot, I didn't write the verse down. Um, Okay, so it's in Genesis chapter 12, and it says that he's uh, 75 uh, years old at the time uh, God appears to him. Then go to chapter 16, verse. Verse 3, this one I did write down, and it says, Behold now Abraham, excuse me, so after Abraham had lived in the land for 10 years. So between Genesis chapter 12 and, and Genesis chapter 16, Abraham is in the land 10 years. So, so right in this section, we have gone from Abraham being um, 75 to 85. Now flip over to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. So, in chapter 16, verse 3, he is 85. In chapter 17, he is 99 years old. How long is there, at least as a minimum, how many years minimum is there between chapter 15 and chapter 17? 14 years. All in, in in like a chapter. Abraham was a believer for 14, at least 14 years before he received the gift of circumcision. Do you see Paul's question then? Or his answer? It was not after... You can flip back to, to Romans now uh, if you were keeping your fingers there. It was not after... But before he was circumcised, when did he get the gift of righteousness? After or before circumcision? Before. 14, at least 14 years before. Some of the rabbis even said that it was longer uh, in, in this time frame. Meaning like chapter 15 was much closer uh, to, to chapter 12 in terms of time frame. But it, but it doesn't matter. It was at least 14 years Abraham had nothing in his own self in his own flesh to boast in this is why Paul can say in Galatians six fifteen, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation Abraham had salvation and it didn't matter if he got circumcised or didn't get circumcised now put this in the context of the early church you have Gentiles coming in. You have Jewish people already in the church believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you imagine the tension that goes on? Can you imagine the statements of, well, aren't you going to follow the commands of God? Think of Abraham, how he followed the commands. Wouldn't you want to be like Abraham? We, we all look up to Abraham. That's what a Christian does. Acts 15, they bluntly said, if you don't get circumcised, if you don't take on this, what, what they would have called in that day and age, the yoke of the law, the, the burden of it, and, and identify to everybody that you are under all of the ceremonial aspects of the law. If you don't do it, you can't be saved. It robs the gift. It robs God of His glory. And it's not even true. From the Old Testament. Because Abraham was saved by faith and faith alone. So, uh, verse 11, we see that circumcision was a seal of righteousness that Abraham already had. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So, uh, Genesis seventeen eleven, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of of the covenant between you and me. Abraham already had the covenant. The covenant was I will make you a great nation. And and God in Genesis 15, he he took, he had Abraham take these animals and they cut these animals in half and and they laid them out almost like like you'd have a center aisle in the sanctuary with animal parts on both sides. And and they laid them out and God appeared to Abraham. And God in his glory walked down through between those animals. And you say, well, that's really weird. Why would they do that? That was one of the ways they made covenants in the ancient world. You know how like when you're a kid and you make a promise and you say like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Uh, You know how when you're an adult and, and you have to sign papers and it's not just good enough to sign papers, but you have to have witnesses that sign it. And it's not just good enough to have witnesses that sign it. You have to go and get notarized. You ever get those like bank papers and you're like sign here, initial here, initial here, initial here, initial here, initial here. Then you have to get the witness sign here, initial here. here." Why do we do that? Because it's binding. Why does God make a covenant in this way? Because it's binding. And when you walk through those animals, you were saying, If I break my oath, let me be destroyed, just like those animals are being destroyed. And oftentimes in the ancient world, a a great king, he would conquer somebody and he would have a loyalty pledge to them. And he would take the lesser vassal who just got beaten in battle and the vassal would pledge the loyalty by, by walking through those animal parts. And he would say if I ever break my word to you, let me be destroyed because you're the great king and I'm the little king. The irony, the mystery of God's grace is that Abraham is the lesser one. Abraham should be pledging loyalty to God. And it's the exact opposite. God says that my word is Is so sure that I will pass before these animal parts, and if I break it, let me die, in a sense. Now, can anything kill God? Absolutely not. And that is the point. How do you know God keeps his word? Because he swears with an oath. How do you know that you get the gift of righteousness? And you will stand before the presence of God one day. And you won't have to wonder when you die, will I actually go to heaven? You can know. And you can know with confidence and certainty. Why? Because God has given you a righteousness in Jesus Christ. And God, as it were, has sworn with an oath. And I ask this to you. Does God break His Word? Will God break His Word to you? Did God break His Word to Abraham? When Abraham's body was as good as dead, physically, humanly speaking, no chance of ever having kids. And what does God give to Abraham? A a sort of resurrection of His body, as Paul will say. What does God give to us in Christ? A resurrected Savior. Do you see how awesome God is? You don't want salvation to be by works. You want it as a gift. Just just logically speaking, who do you want to trust in for salvation? Yourself or God? Logically speaking, think through your own life. How many times have you disappointed yourself? Forget about all the times that you've let other people down. How many times in life have you relied on yourself for something and you let yourself down? You blew it at an exam. You blew a job interview. You you were trusting on yourself to come through in some big way and you just couldn't do it. Whatever the situation was. And in those moments, you knew that you were weak. And you knew that you needed someone outside of yourself. But how is it that so often with salvation, so often when it, when it comes to our relationship with God, we, we get kind of prideful. We, we get kind of boastful. Maybe we even get going on our Christian walk and we kind of say, hey, hey, I got this. I, I've been doing pretty good. You know how consistent my Bible reading has been? You know how consistent my church attendance has been? You know how that sin that I've struggled with, I haven't done it for three whole weeks. But you trust in yourself. And if you rely on yourself to get to heaven, you won't go to heaven. It's as simple and as basic as that. Only the Lord Jesus Christ saves. When you give a Christmas present to your kids on Christmas, you don't hold out a bunch of standards for them. You don't say, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll get it. You say, here, it's a gift, and I'm giving it to you. And I want you to take it and enjoy it. God gives us the blessing of salvation as a gift. It's not through works. And it's not through this circumcision as these, these people in the, the early church and these people from outside the church were thinking at the time. Thinking that if I take on the mark of the law, if I set myself apart, and if I prove to everybody that I am a, a good Jewish person, then I'll be saved. Sometimes we think that way in the church. If I can prove to everyone that I am a good Christian, if I can keep my nose clean, if I can do all the right things... Then God will be pleased and I can be confident or sure that I'm going to heaven. There are people that grow up in the church, spend their whole lives in the church, and they never receive the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And they think the good things that they have done are good enough. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is it good that you go to church? Yes. Is it good that you read your Bible? Yes. Is it good when you keep uh, the various commandments of God? Don't steal. Don't murder. Love your father and mother. uh, Love your neighbor as yourself. All of those things. Are they good? And should we be doing them? Yes. But that isn't how you get to heaven. You can't earn favor with God. God grants it to you as a gift. Lastly this morning if we have faith we are to be walking in the footsteps of Abraham. So Paul says that the Jew to the Jew that Abraham is their father if they are walking in Abraham's faith. So look at the second half of verse 11. The purpose was to make him Abraham the father of all who believe uh, without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. In other words Abraham as just as much the spiritual father of the Gentiles as he is the physical father by genetics of the children of the Jewish nation. That all who believe have Abraham as their spiritual father. And so then in verse 12, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith, that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul is, is kind of bringing a, a dart home to the Jewish person. Who might say, well, Abraham is our father. And Paul is saying, he's not your father if you don't have faith like him. Genetically, he might be your father. You might be a good Jewish person. Paul, in his pre-Christian life, held out all of his credentials. And he said, if we're going to boast about being Jewish, I've got a lot to boast in. Philippians chapter 3. I was a Pharisee, a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, keeping the law, he says, faultless. In other words, if you're going to take legalistic standards, Paul is saying, I was a perfect legalist. You couldn't find any human faults with me. Again, humanly speaking. Paul said, I had to count those things as nothing so that I could have a righteousness that comes from God in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying here, if you don't believe, it doesn't matter who you are. He's not your Father. You don't belong to the people of God. John chapter 8, the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel say to Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus says to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. As you think about our faith, we believe just like Abraham. And so you think about the unity that this would have brought in the early church. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 29 and 30. They were they were having in the early church a lot of fights between Jewish people and these new Gentiles. Kind of like sometimes maybe a new Christian comes into the church and we go, well, they don't look like a Christian. Don't they know that we wear suits on a Sunday? No, that's not how you're saved. They were saying, oh, they don't look like a good Jewish person. So, verse chapter 3, verse 29, 30. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Then again, back to verse 11 and 12. The idea here is God is one and there is only one people of God. The purpose was to make Abraham the father of all who believe without circumcision so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of faith and that our father Abraham had before him before he was circumcised. So, there are not two people of God. There is not one family that, that Abraham is the father of, and then the other family that is the church. No, Everyone who has faith like Abraham is part of the fulfillment of the promise. And I always love at this point to sing the little children's song, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And what? I am one of them and so are you. Now, if you are, are Jewish by descent, you know, praise God. There's many gifts and blessings in that. Paul will say later in Romans, God gave them the covenants. They had the Old Testament before the rest of us did. But at the same time, salvation comes to all. And when we believe like Abraham believed, Abraham is our spiritual father. And so that Abraham, according to Genesis 12, 3, it says all nations will be blessed. Jew, Gentile, barbarian, far off people in Africa, South America, uh, those of us that are Americans, those of us in the Western world, we're not by by genetics part of, of God's plan in, in, in terms of using Judaism in the Old Testament. But Abraham is our father if we believe. What is then the present unity that we have in the body of Christ based on? We might have different nationalities. We might have different ethnic backgrounds, different cultures. But we are united by faith in Christ. I I love fellowship meals because we all bring different foods. And wouldn't it be awesome if we had food from different cultures? Uh, I like red rice. Uh, I like lots of other things. Maybe some of you uh, like different cultural foods. And you know when you get to that meal, we are all having one meal. How much more, when we gather in worship, are we all one in the faith? We all have the same gift of righteousness. No one is better than anyone else. You might have different life experiences, but, but we're all one in Christ. Some of us might have grown up in a very moral setting, maybe a church-going family, uh, and you were raised in a, in a very strict, hey, we, this is how you behave. Others of us may have had a really horrible background. Maybe you just have a normal kind of family, but they weren't Christians. But maybe you had no family or no father or no mother or I don't know. The, the possibilities are endless. And that can, that can shape you. You take some of that with you in your life. You learn from that. But at the end of the day, we are all one in Jesus Christ. Salvation came to us by faith alone, each one of us. So if you look around the room and you say to yourself, I am no better than any other person who is here. I want you to think about this in terms of one last application. There might be people in a church who are at different stages of their Christian walk. But that doesn't make them more or less saved than other people. We are still equal in Christ. So that you may be a person who's been a believer a long time, and that just brings with it uh, a natural maturity, some fruit of the Spirit, all of those things. But don't ever get to a point that you think you are better than that new believer who walks in. And maybe they're rough around the edges. Maybe they're, they're a baby Christian, and, and they're still dropping some swear words. But they're still a Christian. And they're learning. And they're growing. And God is working at them. Let me try to illustrate it in this way. Think of two apple trees. Think of a very young apple tree. And, and in the harvest season, you get maybe a, a basket, a very small basket of apples from it. And then think of a, an old seasoned weathered apple tree. One of those ones with the the giant branches and the kids can swing on it and it has lavish shade and, and when apple season comes, it just is like raining apples. And you get bushels and bushels of apples from it. Which one is more of an apple tree? Which Christian is more of a Christian? We shouldn't judge people who are at different stages of the Christian walk. We should rejoice because we are all saved by the same gift of righteousness. Should we grow in our salvation? Should we grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Should the fruit of the Spirit hopefully over time become more abundant? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, The new believer and the old believer are equal apple trees. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we just come into your presence today and we ask that you would uh, speak to us through your word, that we would be a people who rely on the Lord Jesus Christ and understand this gift that we have. The freedom that this gift brings. That we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. The unity that this gift brings. That we are one with brothers and sisters in Christ who are all stages of their life walk. And who are from all sorts of different places and backgrounds and, and, and cultural differences that are fun and amazing and awesome. And yet we have this unity that, that transcends all of that. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Make us one in Christ. Bind us together. Give us a heart that trusts in you. Help us not to become a people who boast in our flesh or boast in what we've done, but that we might boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and the righteousness that is given as a gift from God. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.